You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Hot Topics in Allergy, presented by the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. I'm Dr. Daniel Ein, president of the ACAAI, an association of 4,000 allergy health providers dedicated to enhancing the care of our patients through education and research. Your host will be Dr. Todd A. Marr. Dr. Marr practices pediatric allergy and immunology at Gunderson Lutheran Medical Center in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Welcome to the Hot Topics in Allergy. With me today is Dr. Phil Lieberman. Dr. Lieberman is in the Division of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, Department of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics, University of Tennessee College of Medicine, Memphis, Tennessee. We're going to discuss a recent article in the Annals of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology in June 2007 titled SAFE, A Multidisciplinary Approach to Anaphylaxis Education in the Emergency Department. Dr. Lieberman, welcome to Hot Topics in Allergy. What is anaphylaxis? Todd, of course, there's a number of different definitions, but the one that our panel suggested as a useful clinical definition is a serious allergic reaction that is rapid in onset and may cause death. Well, that definitely will scare most people and get their attention. I know from looking at the literature, there's a lot of variability in the reported prevalence values for anaphylaxis. Why is there so much variability, and what do you think the real prevalence is? The reason for the variance in prevalence is that these studies are designed using different formats, and also we know there's a great deal of difficulty because anaphylaxis is clearly under-recognized as well as under-reported. But if one looks at all the studies, and I think we managed to do that, I think you come up with an approximate incidence of about 1% to a maximum of 2% of the population. And the best data that we could find comes from Canada, Estelle Simons' group, where she looked at outpatient prescriptions for epinephrine and found that 1% approximately of the population received an outpatient prescription. So it actually would be quite unethical to do a prospective study on anaphylaxis. So that probably creates part of the problem in reviewing the literature. We're dealing with animal models. We're dealing with clinical studies and a few case reports, correct? Correct. What's interesting is looking then at the recent analysis by Clark, where they looked at more than a decade of emergency department data, suggesting that anywhere from 300,000 to 500,000 ED visits for anaphylaxis occur each year in the United States. That's a whopping number when you think about it. So, If you extend that, I think, to the urgent care centers, which are really quite popular also, and people are going to utilize those for what they may think is not anaphylaxis, I think there's a lot of challenges facing ED personnel and other health care providers. What are those challenges? You're absolutely correct. I think that it's very difficult when you're faced with a patient whose life is at risk. And the primary thing that you need to do, and all of us need to do, is, of course, save that life. And uh, the emergency treatment seems to be done reasonably well. However, it's clear that there's probably an underuse of the administration of epinephrine. But anaphylaxis has a very low mortality rate, so for the most part, people do quite well in these settings. However, there seems to be difficulty in obtaining follow-up care. In the studies that you're talking about, only about 16 to 27 percent of patients with anaphylaxis were actually discharged with a prescription for the self-injection of epinephrine, and even less than that had a documented referral to an allergist for follow-up care. So there's a great deal of deficiency in these patients obtaining 
follow-up care to identify the cause. And that's very important because we know that a third to two-thirds of these patients will experience a second episode. So I think in response to this documented need for increased anaphylaxis awareness in the emergency department, you helped convene an expert panel of allergists and emergency department physicians in Chicago, Illinois in April 2006. And this was supported by the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, the ACAAI, and the American College of Emergency Physicians, the ACEP. And what I was referencing was your article in June 2007 in the Annals of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, where you actually talk about this model that you put forward called SAFE. Can you explain the acronym SAFE and what you intend to do with this? Well, what we wanted to do was to develop a pocket-sized reminder that could be used in the acute situation to assure that patients receive immediate treatment, but even more importantly, adequate therapy upon discharge. And SAFE is the acronym we came up with, which stands for S, seek support. That is, advise the patient who had an anaphylactic reaction that there was a risk of a subsequent reaction and to seek support after he was discharged. A, attempt to identify the allergen, that's the A, responsible for the reaction. F, follow-up care, and that should be follow-up care with the primary care physician for obtaining a consult with an allergist or directly to an allergist to assist in identification of the cause. And finally, E, for outpatient administration of epinephrine. So seek support, allergen identification, follow-up with specialty care, and epinephrine prescription upon discharge, and be sure to instruct in the use of that epinephrine. So the seeking support is quite important because I think there are a number of studies that have shown a lot of patients have an initial anaphylactic reaction that may be a little bit milder, but they can have a late-phase reaction or a delayed reaction and not realize that. So the intent is there to get the patient to actually treat it as an emergency, correct? Absolutely. And then allergen avoidance, I think a lot of people try and figure out what they're allergic to on their own. They go hand-in-hand, I think, with seeing a specialist, getting that follow-up care. And I know in my practice, I've seen a number of patients who, you know, they've gone in, they they went to the emergency room, and really didn't ever follow up. And they kind of say, well, I'm not sure what caused it. I think it might be this. Do you find that in your practice also? Absolutely, Todd. We serve as referral for anaphylactic events and see patients from a very wide area. And we have over a 1,000 patients now in our series. And what we learned is that two-thirds of these approximately are not referred after the first episode and don't seek help to identify a cause until they've had two or three of these. And that second or third uh, have been life-threatening on many occasions. So we're seeing the same thing as, as you see, and I would echo that. You're listening to Hot Topics in Allergy on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Todd Marr, and I'm speaking with Dr. Phil Lieberman, and we're discussing anaphylaxis and a new awareness program called SAFE seek support, allergen identification, follow-up for specialty care, and epinephrine for emergencies. And this brings us to the E, or epinephrine for emergencies. And I think earlier you talked about what I would say is the dismal track record that is there for prescribing injectable epinephrine for patients who've had anaphylaxis. Do you have any idea why there's such a 
inadequacy in, in prescribing epinephrine, Phil? Well, the data are quite clear. Thanks to the work of Carlos Camargo, we know that only 16 to 27 percent, as stated, of patients who have had an episode of anaphylaxis will be given a prescription for an automatic injector upon discharge. And we know also that not even all of those patients are adequately instructed in its use. So for some reason, I believe, although I'm not sure about this, that the fact that the physicians are caught up in the moment of dealing with an acutely ill patient and they're so busy during the emergency room visit that sometimes they fail to get adequate follow-up prescriptions and care taken care of. Now, this is extremely important because, as we stated earlier, we know that a third, up to 60% or more, of these patients will have another episode. So it's extremely important that patients who experience one episode be given an automatic epinephrine injector prescription and be instructed in its use prior to their discharge. The other thing is that's key, I think, is the instruction and the use. And I know there's really been a number of studies done looking at the delay in administration of epinephrine being associated with really poor outcomes and actually even mortality. What's the proper use of, of injectable epinephrine? Well, there are two types of injectable epinephrine available in an automatic injector, and they both have a slightly different instructions in their use. And I think it's extremely important that the uh, physician or whoever gives instruction at the time of the visit be familiar with the package inserts and be trained in teaching patients how to use these injectors. There are other studies have shown that physicians who deal with anaphylaxis, even allergists, made errors in their instruction process. So it's important for all of us uh, to become familiar with these instructions and to be able to communicate them to patients adequately. You're listening to Hot Topics in Allergy on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Todd Marr, and I'm speaking with Dr. Phil Lieberman, and we're discussing anaphylaxis and a new awareness program called SAFE, Seek Support, allergen identification, follow-up for specialty care, and epinephrine for emergencies. I think one of the keys for our listeners, since we have a broad audience, is to really remind them that injectable epinephrine now is really meant to be intramuscular injection. And ideally from what I've read, it's the lateral thigh that's actually the route of administration of choice. Is that correct? That's correct. The time to see Max is far quicker with injection in the lateral thigh than it is with injection in the deltoid or subcutaneous in the arm. What about observing people in the emergency department after anaphylaxis? You know, someone's come into the emergency department or urgent care, you know, they maybe weren't a full-blown anaphylaxis, and those are the easier ones. What's out there to help guide us as to how long should we keep people in the emergency department? What should we do? Well, we've known for about two decades now that anaphylaxis can be biphasic in nature. That is, the patient, either spontaneously or with treatment, has a period at which time they're asymptomatic and then can have a recurrent event. And of course, if they've been discharged and they experience this recurrent event, that puts them at risk. So there's been a quest to identify initial characteristics that are present upon the presentation of the patient that would identify those patients at risk for a recurrent event. And although we don't have it completely well established, there are certain risk factors, and these are the presence of asthma, when an allergen has been ingested rather than injected, like an insect sting versus a food, for example, 
when the patient has had a previous biphasic response, when the patient is hypotensive during the initial event, and of course, if the initial event is severe. Well, Phil, I want to thank you for being a guest on Hot Topics in Allergy. I think this is a timely topic to talk about from the standpoint of anaphylaxis. And in the emergency department or urgent care or for anyone listening, they're going to deal with anaphylaxis. So I think this really hits home to their general practice. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you for listening to Hot Topics in Allergy on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. This show has been presented by the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. For more information on the ACAAI, please visit www.acaai.org.